RC Plane Lab, a podcast for anyone interested in RC airplanes. We'll share tips and tricks on how to build models and talk about successful flights, epic crashes, and everything in between. Visit us at rcplanelab.com to sign up for our email list and to ask us questions. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please help us out by rating and reviewing us in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now here are your hosts, Ron and Tom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the RC Plane Lab podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Ron. This is episode number two that kicks off our regular release schedule. Uh, We hope to give you guys an episode every week, uh, but please excuse us if our schedules force us to miss a week every now and then. Yeah, that happens from time to time. It does. Not a plan, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about RC planes for beginners. So let's talk about what do you need to fly an RC airplane? You know, there's a few things you're going to need. Obviously, you're going to need a transmitter and an airplane. Probably going to need a place to fly them, mm-hmm. right? Depending on the type of airplane, you're going to need a battery, a battery charger, uh, maybe some fuel if you if you choose to go the, the gas-powered or nitro-powered route. And probably, you know, it would be really helpful to have somebody to help you uh, with the hobby. Yeah, I think that would be a good place for people to start, actually. Right. Reach out to your local your local flying club. Most of the time, a club will actually get you out, let you fly an airplane right. before you make any kind of financial commitment. Right. This, For example, our our club, mm-hmm. uh, we have a dedicated trainer mm-hmm. uh, that the club owns and that we use to then introduce people to the hobby. So yeah. most clubs have something, I think, similar to that. Yeah, because this can be fairly expensive to get into. And can be. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be, no. Right. But it's it's... It's good to kind of dip your toe in the water before right. you uh, you dive in, I guess, yeah. to see if it's something that you really want to want to try. It's fun once you get started, and I think most people that do will kind of be taken by it and want oh, to buy so. their own airplane, and then another airplane, right? And then another airplane, yeah. and then another airplane, yeah, and then another airplane, right? Right. Um, so, so for everybody listening, the the perfect number of airplanes that you should own is actually a formula. Really? Yeah, and the formula is N plus 1, whereas N <laughs> is the number of airplanes that you currently own. Ah, I like that. So that is the perfect number of airplanes. Yeah, because oddly enough, you can always find room for another one. Yeah, it's weird how, how that works. <laughs> but but yeah, someone someone to help them in the hobby, I think, is uh, is definitely a uh, an instrument for success. Yeah, and you can do it. You know, you can get started on your own if you don't have a club around. You can. Um, there's a lot of good YouTube videos on how to get started. Um, there's a lot of good podcasts out there. Well, well, at least one good one that we know of. I hope you're talking about this one. Um, of course I am. Okay, good. Shameless plug. But no, like seriously though, if you can talk to somebody local, yeah. I would recommend doing that first. If you can't, do some research, you know, kind of look up how to fly. Right. Uh, buy a simulator. Oh, gosh. Yes. I mean, I, I'm glad you said that because I was I was hoping we were going to get to that soon because uh, as some of you know us know, um, simulators when you crash are really cheap to repair. <laughs> yeah, you just hit reset and you go again. Like magic. Yeah. So I actually bought a simulator after I bought an airplane Okay. and had a couple of flights on, under my belt before I bought the simulator. And it, it made uh, it made learning much, much quicker, much sure. easier, and much cheaper. Much cheaper. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I, I, I would recommend doing that first. Yeah, when, I, when I was working, you know, back in the hobby shop part-time, uh, there was many times where I would actually recommend 
uh, buying a simulator to customers before they bought their first airplane. Uh, yeah. Well, number one, I mean, it's great entertainment. I mean, oh, regardless is, yeah. of what the simulator costs, I mean, even if it's a hundred bucks or or whatever, it's great entertainment. You know, on a rainy day when you can't fly or can't really do anything outside, you fire up a simulator and learn a new skill. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, simulators are definite, definite plus. Yeah, I actually the first time I went in to buy an airplane, the gentleman that owned the hobby shop had a um, a nitro plane hanging up, and that's what I wanted first. And he told me, buy this uh, RTF kit and get yourself comfortable with that and then come back and see me in a couple months and we'll get you something different which is what i did but before i bought the the nitro plane i ended up buying a simulator to practice up first yeah um i noticed i said rtf some people might not know what that means so why don't we let's cover a few terms okay we'll start with rtf RTF. would you like to uh define it for me sure uh so rtf means ready to fly uh and generally speaking it's it's just like the name uh suggests you uh you buy a box uh, with an airplane in it, and it has everything in the box to make it ready to fly. Uh, that means uh, it has the transmitter, has the airplane, has all that other stuff that we said you might need to go flying already in the box. Uh, you you know put a few things together, really really quick assembly, charge up some batteries, and you go fly. Yeah, normally it's a couple hours put it together, right? Uh, put the tail on, put the wings on, usually some decals, mm-hmm. charge a battery. Yeah. Sometimes you have to bind. Sometimes you don't. I think yeah, it depends. You probably it's, do. It's probably a good idea to rebind yeah. anyway. But the instruction manuals are usually really, really good about. Yeah, uh, they'll tell you step to step yeah, by exactly. step what to yeah. do. So, um, but that's an RTF. So what about an ARF or an ARF? So that is an almost ready to fly. It's a bit of a misnomer. Uh, so it's 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 kind of almost ready to fly. It's uh, most of the construction has been done for you. Uh, so there's some minor assembly usually required that requires glue, usually. You know, gluing wing halves together, uh, gluing the tail together, hinging the control surfaces, gluing them on, things like that. Uh, and usually some uh, bolt-on type stuff. You bolt the landing gear on or the motor or, or what have you. Um, but generally speaking, an ARF will not include any electronics. Uh, and more often than not, it won't include any kind of power source, either electric or nitro or gas. Okay. What about, uh, you might see BNF on a box at the hobby shop. What does that mean? Yeah, bind and fly is what that stands for. And that means everything in the box is usually kind of included, uh, including the electronics uh, that you will then bind to your existing transmitter. So that sort of implies that you already own a compatible transmitter with that particular platform. And so servos are installed already on yep. those? or Okay. So it's pretty much... Ready to go. It's pretty much a, a ready to fly. Minus your transmitter. Minus your transmitter. And sometimes they come with the batteries and chargers if they're smaller airplanes. And if they're larger airplanes, they usually probably don't come with that. Or maybe they're available with that. You just have to check what's on the you know, on the end of the box to see what's included. But okay. yeah, almost, almost a ready to fly minus the transmitter. Okay. What about a PNP? A PNP stands for plug and play. And it is basically like a ready to fly minus your receiver. So this implies that you already have a radio system of your own, transmitter and receiver, that you then take your receiver that you already own and you plug it into the airplane and then it becomes a ready-to-fly. So with the PNP, it doesn't matter what kind of radio system you have. As long as you have a receiver, you can plug it in and you're good to go. Generally speaking, that's correct. Okay. 
So for the, the next one, we don't see very often anymore. What yeah, about my favorite? Yeah. What about a kit? Yeah. So a kit is basically just a box of wood, <laughs> right? Uh, uh-huh. Generally speaking, it was a box of wood. Uh, sometimes those you know parts were die cut. Sometimes they were pre-machine cut and sanded, but they were wooden parts that you glued together to make an airplane that you then covered with a, a covering of some kind and um, yeah, no electronics or anything like that. It was just literally a box of wood, uh, a set of plans, and an instruction manual. Well, and sometimes it would include uh, like maybe push rods or landing gear if that's made of metal. Sometimes, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, or wire. Sometimes there was a, there was a sometimes a hardware packet in the kit that would include like landing gear wire or push rods, like you said, or uh, engine mounts, things or like that. Or a cowl. Or a cowl. Yeah, yeah, might, might have some yeah, yeah. preformed parts in there also. Yeah. Yep. Um, that, uh, that's the way I, that's the way I got in and I don't regret doing it that way at all. Yeah. It, it's good to build. I enjoy building, but I, I don't know if I'd want to start out that way. Right. Well, I mean, and the stuff that's out there today is, is super, super convenient and you can get flying so quickly now. It, it just, it still amazes me even to this day you know, from where I came from, you know, the, the options that people have now to get in the hobby are almost endless. Well, not only that, but there's a lot of uh, uh, technologies out that help you fly. Um, also, if you're in the hobby shop looking at airplanes, you might see something on the box say, uh, that says AS3X. Yeah. Uh, AS3X is a is an... Uh, I, Active stability on three axis. Thank you. Yeah, I, I always get the <laughs> get the acronym uh, messed up. But basically, what it is, it's a receiver with three gyros in it that sort of correct automatically without any pilot input, um, flight conditions. So it, it makes for a smoother flying airplane and easier to fly airplane. And it is a tool that uh, that helps people learn to fly. That I think, along with some of these other technologies that we'll eventually get to. Um, could also be a crutch. Yeah, as long as you're using it right, it's it's not made to be flown with forever. You know, exactly. it's it's made to be a training aid. Right. It's normally, a tool. right, yeah. and normally there's three modes on it. I think right most I think of the so. time. So you'll have one where it's got full control over the airplane. You're telling it what to do, but it's not going to let you roll. It's not going to let you go. You know, climb too high. It's not going to let you dive too fast. Right. Um, second mode is going to give you a little bit more freedom, mm-hmm. but it's still going to kind of be there. In case something happens, it's gonna uh, it will help with wind and, and right. all that. It'll keep you level when you're supposed to be flying level, and then you can turn it off completely, and right. that's when you're actually flying the airplane, right? Uh, which is what your your goal should be, right? Your to, goal your goal should be to be the pilot in command, right? The yeah, sole you don't pilot in command. You can yeah. use you can use those for help, right? When you're learning, but once you're past that, you you shouldn't necessarily need to be using that at all. Exactly, and it's the same with the the safe technology that's on some of these other ones, right? Which that's is, a, yeah, that's another that's another um, auto sort of correcting technology, and I think they've even taken it. I haven't explored it fully, but I think they they've taken the safe technology now to where, I think, when it's on its full control, I think it will like only let you even bank just to like 15 degrees or something like it. It's amazing how much control these things can actually take away from a pilot. Yeah. There's actually some out now too, trainers and such that will have a, a geofence, which is just an invisible boundary. And really? if it goes too far away, it will come fly back to you. I had yeah, no you can idea e- that was You can there. even like for people learning to fly, 
if you don't have the buddy box system with that plane, you can actually push a button and it will just sit there and fly in circles on its own so you can hand it over to somebody else. You know, if you're diving or something like that, it will actually go into level flight and just fly in circles until you can hand the transmitter over to somebody else to, to fix amazing. it for you. That's a, oh, and for anybody listening, a buddy box is a, a system that we use, um, experienced pilots use to train new pilots where we, mm-hmm. we actually tie sort of two transmitters together electronically via a cord or... Or new ones are wireless, even. Yeah, Bluetooth. Um, And we can take control of the airframe or the airplane whenever the student gets in trouble. That's a buddy box. Yeah, so you push a button. You know, when you're the one, when you're the the trainer, um, you push a button, and then that gives the other person control. You have to hold the button down the whole time or else uh, you get control back. So they have control when you have the button pushed down and you let go. If they get in trouble, you can just let go and take over, and that way you don't... uh, have any bad endings. Yep, yep. Yeah, so, I mean, um, did you want to, you know, maybe maybe touch on the different types of construction? Yeah. So, biggest differences you're going to see is foam and, like, a built-up model, which is usually uh, balsa, uh, right. wooden-type model. My favorite. Mine, too. <laughs> for, for getting in, though, I think you ought to look for a good ready-to-fly kit made of foam. Yeah, and and you know I'm I'm the old guy in the room, uh, old school guy loves kits, loves wooden airplanes, and even well I do too. Even with all of that, and and coming in the hobby, how I got in the hobby, you know, many many years ago, building my first airplane and, and such. Even today, I it's hard for me not to recommend, you know, kind of what you're talking about. Well, it's just so much easier. Yeah, uh, it's so much cheaper. Cheaper. That's, really, that's the thing. And when you get the wooden built-up kits, you don't get the the stability control, the AS3X, the safe technology. Right. You know, those are those are made for beginners. Right. And most of the time, beginners just start with foam airplanes. Right. And there's there's lots of options out there with with the foam. Oh yeah, and they change beginners. yearly. They do. So it's hard to keep up with what's new and what's good. You know, I technology agree. moves so fast. I agree. I got online the other day. Uh, just to do a quick kind of search because I knew we were going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, the options that are out there, just it's staggering. Yeah. It's yeah, hard. It's, a, it's honestly, there are so many options out there without somebody, you know, giving you their recommendations. It's actually kind of, I would think, for a, for a newcomer to the hobby, it would be almost intimidating. Yeah. Would you would you say, would you have a, uh, like, a recommended size airplane that you would recommend to, to somebody just getting in? See, I, I prefer going a little bit bigger. I know they have some small 12, even 24-inch wingspan, but to me, 36 to 42 is a good wingspan. Yeah, uh, It handles the wind better. Right. You're going to have a little bit of weight to it, so it's going to fly a little bit better. Um, I think more important than size, though, is going to be wing configuration. Most of your your trainers will have dihedral built in. Right. Uh, for those that don't know what dihedral is, if you want to tell us, yeah, sure. Uh, so a dihedral is the it basically if you if you look at the the leading edge of the wing, you know, head on, you're looking right at the wing. Dihedral is a reference to the angle that the wing makes towards the center. So if you can imagine, you take half the wing, lay it flat on a table, and the opposite wing tip is probably going to have some sort of gap under it under a flat surface, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if you're looking at it, it's going to be a very shallow V. Exactly. And generally speaking, the more um, the more dihedral or the more V-ish the shape, 
generally speaking, the more stable the airplane itself is. Yeah, and that so the reason for that is when a when a wing is flat, it creates more lift than when it's not flat. So it's going to level itself out as that as that one wing. You know, when you're banking in a turn, is that one wing is is uh, more level with the horizon is going to create more lift than the wing that's kind of up in the air. And so they will kind of equalize themselves out in order to fly uh, straight and level. Yeah. So, I'd say that's a fairly accurate, easy description. Yeah. yeah. I so, mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of other factors, you know, well, on, aerodynamic yeah. factors, things like that. But yeah, that generally speaking, yeah. Um, if you can imagine a, a flat uh, wing gliding through the air, just a completely flat one, it's going to produce the most lift when it's kind of horizontal to the surface in the vertical axis, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. without getting into it too right. much. So exactly. without the dihedral, you know, when you're flying at 30 degrees or whatever, you're going to stay at that angle. It's not exactly. going to be self-correcting. Right, exactly. Which is what makes it so much easier for a beginner when you have that dihedral built in because yeah. you don't have to worry as much about what angle you're at. Right. And um, I could be wrong, but most of, the, most of the airplanes I looked at online the other day when I was looking, uh, most of those... You know, they all had a fair amount of dihedral. Yeah, trainers that are designed to get people in the hobby are gonna have a lot of that. So. Yeah, trainers do. Yeah, and that's I mean that's just easy for somebody to get started with without having to worry too much about their attitude in the air. Right. So. What What would you say to uh, newcomers about airplanes that really look cool and look like airplanes? I would say those are awesome, but don't begin with them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, trainers are made as trainers for a reason. You know, they're made to fly well. They're made to be forgiving. They're made to be easy and quick to get in the air. Um, they don't necessarily look like, well, I shouldn't say that. It's possible they don't look like real airplanes. They won't look like a Cessna. They won't look like, you know, a, a jet fighter or even an old, uh, like, World War II bomber or anything like that. Right. And the reason is those are harder to fly. Yeah, generally speaking, they are. Yeah. So stick with the trainer. That's what it's made for. Exactly. You know, save that for your third or fourth or fifth plane. You know, that's when you can kind of get into what what kind of airplane, uh, when you that's when you can buy what you like the looks of. Right. Yeah. So so we're, you're talking about dihedral and, and, you know, usually scale or real looking airplanes that you would see out on a you know on a, air, on a ramp somewhere are going to be lacking that that dihedral mm-hmm. uh, function that you were talking about um, I think dihedral also plays into to one of these other topics we wanted to cover um, about how many channels would you would you say um, you should begin with yeah I'd skip right past the three channel and go to four channel yeah why is that well so my first plane was a, a three-channel. I, I happen to agree, by the way, but yeah, explain that. Yeah, so my first plane was a three-channel. It had a lot of dihedral built in the wing. It was self-riding because of the wing, but it did not have ailerons. Right. So that's all, you know, it flew well. Sure. You can get three channels that fly okay, but the difference between that is when you're going to a four-channel, your your rudder control changes hands. So... Well, I'm- Pause that for just a second. I'm, sure. For our listeners, I'm gonna channels. We're referring to the number of functions that the airplane can uh, accept Correct. from the transmitter. Yeah, it's so, how many separate lines of communication there are between the receiver and the transmitter. So a three channel has what three channels then? A three channel has your throttle, right? Has your elevator, and has your rudder. 
And then so a fourth channel adds what? Ailerons. Which those are the ones that are on the wing. Correct. So that's what controls your roll. Controls the roll about the longitudinal axis. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make a quick note of that because there is a difference. Yeah. Uh, three channel versus four channel. So, you know, usually uh, when when new folks come into the hobby and if they really do enjoy it and they have a, a successful entry, let's say, mm -hmm. into the hobby, they're going to graduate to a four channel or more airplane eventually. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think you and I think pretty much along the same lines here. Just just go ahead and avoid the three-channel type airplanes right off the bat. Yeah, because you don't learn bad habits. Like I said, switching the, the rudder from thumb to thumb is something that you don't want to have to relearn when you're going from a three-channel to a four-channel. Yeah. It just makes it more difficult taxiing on the ground. It makes it more difficult when you're trying to take off. Just stick with the four-channel to begin with, and, and you'll be fine. Right. So, yeah. So we, we kind of covered the... The, you know, the construction, you know, different types of airplane, things like that. Um, you know, one thing maybe we could, we could talk about is the, the difficulty should the need arise to repair an airplane. And there's different types of repair techniques for different types of airplanes. Um, I'll say that, uh, you know, repairing a wood airplane is going to be more time-consuming and uh, if it can be repaired. Uh, yeah, it's going to be much more difficult. Um, foam is nice because usually you can tape it. Usually you can throw some popsicle sticks on it, maybe some uh, some bamboo skewers, just kind of get it put back together, and you're flying again. Yep. When foam breaks, it's not difficult to rig it up and make it fly. Right. Whereas that's not something you're going to do with a, a covered-up wood airplane. Right. Well, and then you've got, you know... a on a balsa airplane or a wood construction airplane, you've got the, like you mentioned, the, the covering that is also then going to need patched even after you perform the repair. So that adds a whole nother level of complexity. So the foam airplanes are great for beginners because should the need arise, they are much easier to repair. Yeah. Like I said, if you take some tape with you, take some skewers and, and stuff, you most of the time will be able to just kind of put it back together and, and get back up flying. Um, Really, the extra weight that glue adds and tape adds is not going to make any difference to how it flies when you're first getting into it. So, right. you, you know, you're fine just taking stuff like that for a, a hard landing. Right. If you crash anything too much, you know, you're not going to be able to fix it, whether it's wood or foam. Right. Which um, which kind of which kind of ties into my the, the thing I'd like to talk about next. You know, how much should should somebody spend on their first airplane? I mean. If you crash it to the point where you can't repair it, hopefully you're not out a whole lot of money. So how much should somebody expect to pay or could they expect to pay depending on how they choose to get in the hobby? Yeah, so there's a lot of different uh, manufacturers out there that, that make radio equipment. When you buy uh, like an RTF kit, like, okay, so the first RTF kit that I bought or airplane that I bought, I have nothing left of it. The airplane... It, like I said, it flew well, sure. but it, it outlived its purpose. Right. You know, I wasn't going to fly a three-channel, and there was no reason, because I, after buying it, I knew I wouldn't recommend anybody else start off with one, so I didn't want to give anybody else the bad habits by learning how to use it. Also, the transmitters that come with them don't always come with full-fledged transmitters. Right. And I was going to say that, generally speaking, even if you had started with a, with a, a let's just call it a foamy, four-channel airplane as a beginner, even even if you had started that way, chances are if you stay in the hobby, eventually 
you're not going to own that airplane anymore either because you've passed it on to maybe somebody else to get into the hobby or you've crashed it to the point where you don't want to repair it anymore right. or you've outgrown the, um, the transmitter. The, uh, yeah, the transmitter. So I, I would say even even had they started with a four-channel foamy, eventually... You're going to outgrow it. Right. And you're going to want something else. So you're going to want uh, like a modern computer-type radio to where you can have multiple models on it. Uh, yep. We both fly DX8s, which are actually outdated. They're a little older, but they still work. They, Yeah, they hold, what, 30 models, I think? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. so as long as you don't have 30 airplanes. Right. Well, you, I think you can hold more if you've got the cool little oh, that Yeah, you're right. You can put, you can put an SD card yeah. in there. But yeah. I'm not Either way, yeah. I'm not quite there yet. I think I'm at, what, <laughs> 22 slots filled or something like I that. Don't know. I don't So, yeah, I, I, mine's full, but I have a lot of profiles in there that are of, you know, club members. You know, when I'm right. helping them fly their airplanes or whatever. So, yeah, mine's full, and but I mean, I have the SD card that I can, you know. But yeah, like you said, you'll you'll outgrow the 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 airframe and um and the transmitter that comes with it usually. So, yeah. but I mean, getting back to the cost, that's such a, a, a you right. can spend as much as you want to spend. I mean, oh, you can yeah. you can you can go into it and and get cheaper equipment, and they usually work just fine. Um. Most of the time, you're not going to have that for the long run. So, you know, start off really as cheap as you can go if you want to. Just if you're not going to go fly with somebody to field, you know, get your own airplane. Try it. Just try it out. See if you like it. I would still go with something in the 36 to 42-inch wingspan ish just because that, like I said, flies better than the small one. Right. They fly very well. You can get... They get a little twitchy when you get down to that, like, 12, 18, 24-inch wingspan. They don't fly nearly as well. They're a right. lot lighter. They're affected by wind. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I was going to say uh, the, the bigger airplanes, um, and by bigger I mean the ones you're talking about, you know, 36 to 42-inch or so, uh, they're a little bit heavier. Mm-hmm. So they're not as they, – they don't get thrown around like a smaller airplane does yeah. in the wind, just like you said. Yeah, it flies a lot better. And the other thing, too, though, if you do decide to go that route and not fly at a field – uh, like an AMA-sanctioned field, be very careful where you fly. Uh, don't fly over people. Don't fly around people. You know, just make sure you're not uh, being a bad steward to the hobby. Right. You know, don't give everybody else a bad name because yeah, you're, a lot of people overlook that. Yeah. You know, don't get permission before you fly somewhere. Don't assume that you can go to your local church and just fly out of their parking right. lot or. Yeah. You know the local Walmart or yeah. even parks. You know, and, just, and you'll find sure. most most places. Uh, I, you know, I can't generalize, but uh, most places that I have ever asked, you know, to fly a little electric airplane in the parking lot or whatever, have never had a problem with that. Yeah. But it's always better to ask. It's definitely better to ask, and you should. Absolutely. Before. Yeah, especially if it's not your property. You know. Exactly. You just kind of have to make sure that they're okay with it. Because technically, you're trespassing. Yeah, that's true. I mean. And, you know, just remember, these these are toys, but they can hurt you. Sure they can. You have to be careful. The propeller spins very fast. You know, it can cut you. It can it can be, it can cause harm, not only to you, but to property. So, sure. I mean, even these even these uh, smaller foamy trainers that are, let's say, 32-inch wingspans, you know, they weigh, what, a couple of pounds, three yeah. pounds, let's say. You know, something like that traveling at 40 mile an hour, you know, hits something. It could definitely do do some damage. Yeah, and, uh, it we can don't want that. Break a window, dent a car. Yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that you have to be careful with. Right. Um, yeah. but yeah, as long as you're careful, you know, know where you're flying, get a good trainer airplane, get something that uh they can grow with you a little bit. Yeah. But 
just don't expect to have it forever. I don't think. Right. And that's, I think that's a, I think that's a, uh, a fair trade-off, you know, for, for learning, you know, cause you know, I suppose there's somebody out there that will, will try the hobby, you know, and they'll do it, you know, the right way and they'll, they'll have the right equipment and they'll have help from a friend or, or an experienced pilot and they'll decide they don't like it. I mm-hmm. can't imagine anybody coming <laughs> to that conclusion. Yeah. But it could happen. Sure. And better to have gone in and spent the minimum amount possible to determine that. Yeah. But get that's in cheap, a, get but, in fast. But that's a, that's a cheap um, a cheap price or a, a fair trade-off, if you ask me, you know, should you decide to continue in the hobby because you did it the right way. You know yeah. And then, you know, if you go spend a bunch of money on your first airplane and you crash it, you're going to be upset and you're really going to be... Um, most of the time, you're not going to want to go back. Right. You know, you're going to take some time to kind of think about, well, what did I do? Right. How much did I just waste? Yeah. You know, how much money just did I throw to, throw away because yeah. I... It's easy to, to go, you know, to think those things, you know, upon your first crash. Yeah. Hindsight's but I, always I, I'll say that uh, every time I've crashed on a simulator, I've never had that thought. No. Strange. And you can fly a lot of different airplanes on a simulator. Yeah. Yeah, learn a lot of different tricks too. Yeah, I, I do want to say one more thing. You, you mentioned just a little bit ago um, that you could go cheap on the equipment. Mm-hmm. I just want to I just want to make a a quick comment about going cheap on equipment. I've learned this lesson, unfortunately, more than I care to admit. Um, you get what you pay for. I'm going to say that. So, yes, there are um, places out there that you can order stuff. Uh, for instance, I'm gonna say I'm gonna just gonna say electronics. Let's say um, eventually, if you decide to stay in the hobby, you're gonna want more airplanes. Because mm-hmm. um, remember, like I said, the perfect number of airplanes n is plus one n plus one. So the more airplanes you have, the more electronics you're gonna need. You're you're gonna need servos and a receiver and batteries for each airplane. You don't want to have three airplanes and only one set of electronics for each one or for one, and then be switching it. You know that's just no fun and time-consuming. Right. Sometimes, you know, the way we install the electronics, that's just not feasible. So you'll want electronics for each airplane. And mm-hmm. like you said, you know, there's cheap equipment out there. Um, but don't, please, don't skimp on the control uh, portions of your electronics. For instance, the receiver, uh, transmitter, servos these days. I mean, let's be honest. Depending on what they're you're all like, made, kind of in the, the same. little nine gram ones that you get for three bucks a piece. I fly with those on smaller airplanes. I do. I've too. never had a problem. I do too, but I have had problems with with the uh, Chinese knockoff. I'll just say it uh, receivers. I've had a couple of them, you know, cause some some nicer airplanes uh, to to meet their demise. And I just I want other people to learn from sort of, and not that it was a mistake, but my the lesson that I learned. Uh, don't skimp. Please don't skimp on the on the receivers, especially. My only thing with that, and I, I know the receiver brand you're talking about, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name it, right? Um, because I have flown with them also, right? And they have been great for me, right? I've never had a problem with one of those name brand ones. I have had a problem with. I have lost uh, at least one, maybe two planes that had the name brand receiver, and. Mm-hmm. I had the same problems with those that you had with uh, the knockoff brand. No kidding. So, I mean, it does happen. I guess, yeah. Um, that's that's the unfortunate part of flying. Like, if I crash because 
I did something, I'm okay with that because I can learn from it. Yeah. If I crash because I lose signal, if I crash because a servo locks up, if I crash because any other reason that's not in my control, then that's when I, I really get discouraged and have a, have issues. Yeah. Well, that, that's understandable. Um, but, uh, okay. Well, I mean, I guess if there's an upside to, to that whole debate, um, at least a, if there is an upside, at least because there's never an upside to crashing an airplane. No. Um, but if there is an upside to owning name brand equipment that fails, at least, you know, you have some sort of factory support, usually fairly close by because they're all located in Champaign. You know, the headquarters for most of them are in Champaign and, and the customer service, that's where they run out of, even if the product comes from somewhere else. Yeah. Um, at least and you that's, have that. That's Illinois, right? Yeah. At least you have that, right? So, you know, the, these other ones that, uh, the ones that I'm talking about, um, that we won't name, uh, there, there is no, there is really no support. Like even, even in, in, in my example, I called the place where I bought it and their answer was, uh, basically, sorry. Yeah. I mean, in that, when it was a translation from another language that, I got. Okay, well then, see, I've never called a place and had, uh, because of an issue like that, what 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 should I have done then when I lost an airplane because of um, well, a name brand sure. yep. failure? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, if you can, not now we're, hopefully a beginner will never have to, will never have to deal with this. Yeah, we're probably getting off topic, but yeah. I'm, I'm curious, so enlighten but, me, please. But yeah, um, in your troubleshooting, post-crash uh, or post-incident, we'll say, uh, if in your troubleshooting you have have definitely narrowed it down, like you've, you've taken your servos and plugged them into another system and all the servos are perfect, and the battery pack, you, you hook it onto your uh, voltage, your voltmeter or your, your load meter, what, what have you, and it checks good. If you can ultimately narrow it down to the transmitter or receiver, then me personally, I'm calling the company and saying, hey, listen, I had this issue. Um, everything, you know, I've flown this system before, no problems. Usually, it's been my experience. Um, they're, I'll just go ahead and say uh, Horizon, customer service in this case, were very, very helpful t- to me. Uh, and they, they offered to, hey, send us the stuff. We'll... Uh, you know, we'll run it through our diagnostics, whether they did or not, who knows, but they, at least they offered. And, and I went ahead and I did that. This has been, you know, a few years ago, but I sent them my DX8 and I sent them the receiver that had failed, or at least that I thought had failed and the two satellites that were in it or what were with it. And they had it for, I mean, it was really quick turnaround. I think it was like a week and a half. I had it back in two weeks and uh, I had a brand new receiver and three new brand new remotes and they said that they ran a diagnostic on the transmitter and the transmitter was fine. And then they also told me what was wrong with the original receiver. Wasn't kind of recovered under warranty because unfortunately it was a voltage spike that this is what they attributed it to. But at least, at least I got something back and I got an answer. Yeah. Um, And someone willing to help. When you say remotes for those that don't know, because that might be, this is a beginner episode, so. Right, so. Uh, some of the, some of the, if you stay in the hobby, some of your more complex airplanes will have uh, a more complex control system. So, uh, Spectrum in this case uh, was a uh, 
I think it was an AR-8000. I think it's, forgive me, I don't know for exactly what the model number was. But anyway, it was a receiver, and it used two what we call satellite receivers. So Spectrum, you know, they use really, really short. So satellite receiver is the same as remotes when you say it that way? I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, satellite and remote are kind of uh, interchangeable terms when it comes to radio equipment and airplanes. Uh, but anyway, this one had two satellite receivers, uh, and they use these so that we can plug them into different or, or route them into different areas of the airframe to get a maximum exposure to the signal from the transmitter. Uh, so they, they'll use a main receiver, and then there'll be two remote or um, satellite receivers that you know plug into the receiver and you stretch them out and into the airframe so they can get a better look at the signal from the transmitter. And normally you face those different, different directions. directions. Yeah. Uh, so pretty much it's just a different antenna like more antenna coverage is what they're going for in the airplane. Yep. Easy to think of it that way, yep. Yeah. So, okay. But anyway, that I just wanted to touch on the on the cheap equipment. It is out there and um even though we have differing opinions, I I would say that even even if you've had trouble with domestic, you know, real, I don't want to say real, but the name brand stuff, um, at least you do have that customer service that you can call Yeah. if you have an issue, whereas yeah. the other stuff, one and done kind of a thing. And you're right. I forgot. I did send in, I had some uh, high-dollar servos, and I sent a bunch of them back to them, and they rebuilt them for me, no charge. And you're right. I think it might have been a month. Uh, I did it in the wintertime, so it really right. didn't matter that much, but I had, I think I sent in eight servos or something like that and they they went through them all and cleaned them and and fixed anything that would have been wrong with them that way i knew when you've installed them yeah, when I, were you know go. when it was time for the next season of flying that they were not going to give me any issues yeah so that you're right that's something that, that's nice too and I, I think if they're out of warranty they they charge you for that but under warranty i didn't get charged anything yeah they even covered shipment back something we really didn't cover yet um electric versus nitro versus gas do we want to kind of just go over that real quick? I would stick with electric. Yeah, and I, and I have to agree. With with, uh, with the, the quality of, of stuff that's out there and the cost, it just makes sense. It's easy. It's inexpensive. There's a very small learning curve. Right. You know, you turn it on. Maybe you have to make an adjustment in the transmitter, but the instructions tell you how. Yeah. And then you're ready to go. Um, nitro. Uh, used to be my go-to, you know, for, for getting new folks into the hobby. Um, but it's expensive, you know, because you have to buy yeah, the fuel and then 30 the bucks engine. a gallon or so, and give or take. there's a definite learning curve. You have to know how or know somebody that knows how to tune them. You know, yeah. they usually, you know, they require kind of constant attention. You know, they, they tune changes with weather or things like that. Uh, and then the gasoline-powered airplanes, those are usually... Bigger airplanes that a, a beginner just, I don't want to say out of their price range, but. Yeah, even if it's in their price range, it, I wouldn't start with sensible. anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're better off, like I said, I think you're better off sticking with a, an inexpensive electric just to get into it, make your mistakes on that one. And then, you know, as you learn more, you can get into nitro, you can get into gas. They all have their pros and cons to them. Um, so just stick with inexpensive first. You know, get into it more, learn some more. Um, and if, you ev if you're ever out and you're getting ready to fly, if you have any issues whatsoever, if you see anything that's wrong, if there's anything that makes you go, well, you know what, I don't know about that, just don't. 
Yeah, go home and fly your simulator. Yeah. That you purchased first. Figure out what's going wrong. <laughs> you know, if if anything is off, just do right. not fly. Yeah. That's, so so many times we've we've seen friends uh, pile in an airplane just because that something wasn't right. Yeah, that if you had done a, a good pre-flight check, you would have noticed in you know a couple seconds that something was off. Right. Let's yeah. figure it out. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about pre-flights and you know in, in another episode at some time. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so many so many crashes can be avoided by just using sound judgment. Yeah, and so. and don't be too excited to do something if something is off. Right. That sort of ties into this next thing I want to talk about. Um. Just because you can do something, talking about the simulator, you know, using your judgment, just because you can do something cool on the simulator, it doesn't necessarily translate to the, you know, the real airplane. Yeah, I've I've lost airplanes because of that. Uh, really? Airplane, one airplane. I shouldn't say that. airplanes. I've lost one airplane because of that. Um, I would love to hear that story. Well, again. the the long story, <laughs> the long story short of that one. Practice on the simulator, doing flat spins, worked perfectly on the simulator. You know, I had it down. I could easily go up, get into one, get out of one, pull out of it, and come land. Next day, I went out to the field with uh, my little nitro katana Mm -hmm. and got it into a flat spin. It wasn't as flat as I would like it on the the simulator, Mm -hmm. but uh, got it into a flat spin, and it did not recover at all the way it did on the on the uh, on the simulator, which is to say that it did not recover at all. It lawn period. darted right, you know, like <laughs> head first straight down into it. It split it into. Uh, it was it was not pretty. Yeah. Uh, I will say, however, I I went home that night. I put it back together. You did, and went out the next day and flew it, uh, and it crashed. And that was one that, getting back to what we were talking about before, that one bothered me more than the first one because. It was not something that I, you know, I had done. Right. I mean, I guess technically it was my fault because I didn't recharge the battery. But I would expect to be able to get more than, you know, 10 minutes flight out of a out of receiver or out of a, a receiver battery. So once again, if I had done a pre, or a pre-flight check on that, I would have probably noticed that the battery, the cells were not up to, up to snuff. So yeah. pre-flight. Yeah, and, we'll, and wrong. We'll, we'll we'll cover a, a proper yeah we will pre-flight in another episode yeah but because yeah. it's important oh very important uh, so yeah if you see anything wrong though, like I said just don't don't fly right yeah so reach out to us you know if you have show ideas questions anything like that yeah uh, my email address is ron at rcplanelab.com. and and mine is if you don't want to talk to Ron you can talk to me uh, my name is Tom at rcplanelab.com. Yeah, or like I said, give us a uh, give us a call, or you can text us at area code eight one eight three five one nine eight four six. They can text us. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that works too. Sweet. Yeah. So, so easy today. To, I know. To Reach out however you want. Yeah. So, but yeah, for this week, I think we're done. Okay. And uh, yeah, I thank everybody for uh, for tuning in and listening to us uh, ramble and talk about uh, RC planes for beginners. Yeah. Until the next episode. I'm Ron. I'm Tom. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. 
for topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.